am Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Vice President, Principal Analyst, JP Gounder, and Vice President, Research Director, James McQuivy, to discuss the future of the office and whether it's time to rethink traditional notions of what the office is. Welcome both. That's great to be here. Hi, everybody. So guys, the future of the office, uh, we're going to get into, you know, what the office actually means now that we're in this world where we have in office, hybrid, anywhere work, all of these concepts going on. And just to get it started, JP, can you just frame up, like, what do we mean by the office? Because I think you have a particular um, understanding that the office has a role. It's not necessarily a place anymore. That's right. Uh, the future of the office extends beyond the physical office. Now, it's very important as we say that to understand that physical offices aren't going anywhere. Hybrid has essentially won in the marketplace. Most companies are trying to figure out how to create engagement when people are coming and going between their homes, between the physical office, and increasingly travel and you know third places. In order to really understand the future of the physical office, you have to understand that the future of the overall office extends beyond a physical location. I like to think of it like this. When I was growing up, if someone said to me, I need a map to get somewhere, my first thought was that there is a physical map. It's a piece of paper, probably from AAA, and you unfurl it and you look on the map. Now, if you say map today, probably people are first thinking Google Maps or Apple Maps. It's a more dynamic uh, situation. It's software defined. And what our thesis here is that the same thing is happening to offices. Rather than thinking of the office as just the physical office, which remains important and we'll talk plenty about, now we're moving into a conceptual space where it is a network of locations, of people, of practices, and of technologies that weave everyone together. After all, if someone works from home and they are going on vacation, they still put on their out of office message. So the future of the office is something much bigger than just the physical office, even as physical offices still matter. So that made sense uh, certainly six months ago when we were transitioning into this newer era of work. But you said that uh, hybrid work or anywhere work is actually one. We've had a bunch of layoffs and there's a lot of things going on right now. Is that still true? Is it still the, the winning method? So there's a lot of variation here, right? I mean, there are certainly organizations who are returning to four or five days in the office. That is without a doubt. But the majority of companies for at least part of their workforce are definitely allowing people to have some flexibility. Maybe they're going into the office three days a week or maybe two days a week. Um, and even some of those really high profile companies that have laid people off are continuing with a three or two days a week kind of presence. And the reason is that there is a lot of uh, benefit that can be found out of this methodology where you're giving people the ability to have a certain amount of flexibility, but you're also allowing teams to get together, to build trust, to build culture and to collaborate in person. So talk to me, maybe this is a question for you, James, talk to me about the, you know, the expectations or the psychology uh, where we are with this work thing. So are employees still really wanting it? Is there this yearning to be back? 
What's the tension between leadership and employees as we figure out what to do with these big offices? Yeah, I'll start us off, but certainly JP can add to this because he's been in the data uh, just intensely. I mean, going back to the very beginning when we were really focused on where do you want to work during the worst parts of the pandemic, we we were easily seeing you know two thirds, three fourths of people who could work from home saying they would prefer to work from home. Well, as of last summer we're still seeing two thirds of workers who can work from home saying that they hope to work from home often. Now, does that mean that they themselves want to be home all the time or or only some of the time? When we get into those data, it, it's varied, but, but a majority of people who can work from home, meaning they're in roles where working from home makes sense, do want the ability to do that. And now, even though that we're no longer under the immediate press of the initial years of the pandemic. So the, the fact is, from a, an employee perspective, saying to them, as JP has basically said, hybrid is one, I think what he's also saying is, companies have recognized that this is what employees want, at least part of their arrangement to include this kind of flexibility. And for all the reasons that we've been researching now for several years about what the power of that flexibility and the autonomy that it implies, which autonomy is a huge predictor of employee experience, regardless of whether we're talking about where someone physically works. So all of those things um, are, are winning out, and maybe they wouldn't be winning out, honestly, to the degree that they are today, if we were, say, in a situation where there were more people looking for jobs than there are jobs to look for. But that's not the case right now. Consistently for the last year and two months, uh, since the beginning of 2022, there have been at least 5 million more jobs available in the United States, at least, than there are people looking for jobs. And that deficit just means that companies, uh, I think, not giving into, not acceding to, but but saying we are willing to try more of this hybrid thing for more months and years is partly in response to the fact that employees have more choices than they did before, which is a form of employee power that we track here at Foresters. It's just the belief that if you did leave, you could find another job. Well, when there's 5 million extra jobs kicking around the economy, to put it very informally, uh, that does give one the sense of... Um, of confidence that they have other options. So companies essentially have to compete with each other. And one of the things they can easily compete on is, hey, we understand the future of the office. It's not about the future of hybrid work. It's about the future of the office experience broadly. And, and I think that's why we're seeing so many companies land on hybrid. You know, another interesting data point from over the last uh, year was that while two thirds of workers still said, I want to work from home more often, 52% of workers also said, I can't wait to get back to the office when it's safe to do so, when my uh, company allows that to happen. Um, and so what we have seen is something that comes in between here. Sure, people want flexibility, but a lot of people also value the office. That's become clear. But it is a spectrum. You're going to find every possible permutation of person and of organization out in the market. But what we're finding, there is a really big longitudinal study in uh, from Stanford that has been done. And they have found that um, essentially out of all days of work, 30% over the last year have been done from home on a regular basis. And that includes all jobs, including jobs that cannot be done remotely. 
So what it says is certain numbers of days of the week have permanently shifted, they said, at a rate that would have implied 40 years of growth from where we were in 2019. So what does it mean for the office? JP, you had, you had mentioned it being part of this connected entity, but what does that mean in real terms? What it means in real terms is that we need to rethink um, both the sort of baseline of how we plan our physical offices and also the baseline of how we connect people across space. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that companies are starting to reassess what's the purpose of the time that we spend in the physical office. Uh, one thing that we found, we did a whole bunch of interviews. We, we tried to understand where this is going. A lot of companies are prioritizing space for collaboration in the office, right? Fewer desks where maybe people are only coming in two, three, four days a week, um, more space for collaboration uh, of different sized rooms, maybe adding technology to those rooms, giving people the ability to come together to work in person. That has been the thing that people report getting the highest value out of. When I go to the office, I want to be with my peers, my colleagues, my cross-functional partners, work with them collaboratively. And then the second piece is to make sure that we don't go back to 2019 when people who were remote at any given moment were essentially second-class citizens, right? Nobody can afford to be a second-class citizen in the future of the office. This extended office means we're using collaboration technologies. We're using techniques like managing our meetings differently. We're using inclusive leadership to make sure that everybody is on an equal playing field. And so at the end of that, what you wind up having is an upgraded and more collaborative in-person office, but you also have this really well-connected so that anybody at any time, any place they happen to be, can be a full participant in the meetings and collaborations, decision-making, brainstorming going on back uh, with their colleagues. I just want to add to that, the there's an imperative implied there. And I think it's important we call this out. The future of the office requires hybrid excellence. It really does. In a world where you know 7% of people might have been working from home on any prior day before the pandemic, now we're talking about a world in which it's going to be 21% of people, is our forecast, who are regularly not in the office. So that means you have to be good at this. No matter which number of hybrid days you choose to ask people to come back to the office, you will just have a larger number of people that are not physically present. And I was recently working with a financial services organization that said, look, we've been hiding from the fact that even before we went into 2020, we had about just under a third of our staff not even working in our headquarters office. So they were already technically remote participants in every meeting that they were part of. Um, and yet no one was optimizing for them. We're not even talking about whether they're working from home. We're talking about whether they're in a satellite location. Hybrid excellence will be necessary, required. You have to do it. So anybody who is saying, oh, please, let's come back to the office so we don't have to get good at this other thing. No, that's the wrong way to think about any of these questions. I'm trying to think about what hybrid excellence actually really means because, you know, JP, you were saying some very important words with, you know, you need better technology, you need to, you know, rethink your spaces. I mean, at the end of the day, aren't the people that are actually in the physical building, uh, don't they have a leg up no matter what, no matter how good the technology is? 
You know, it, I mean, I think you point out something really important, which is it's not about technology per se. Technology is a supporting piece of the puzzle. It's about the practices that you put into place. Um, and that means that the leader of any given meeting is thinking about inclusivity for both the people in the room and the people who are not in the room at the time. They are soliciting participation across both of those venues. Now we have a little bit more of an incentive to do this because on any given day, I might be the person who's remote, right? Even if I'm in the office today. And so we need to start building cultures that are highly inclusive and that make sure everyone is an equal participant. But as you say, technology is an enabler, but it is not a silver bullet, which is usually the case anyway. I think one of our problems here is just managers. Managers don't know how to do this. They don't. They rely on things like stand-up meetings at the beginning of the week, and a lot of uh, informal things happen in those meetings that help sustain the work of the team. You're going to have to be a lot more deliberate about what work you're really trying to accomplish in these meetings. I One of the challenges I've been asking myself uh, as a manager myself is how many of the things I expect meetings to accomplish today could I move to asynchronous communication tools? I think asynchronicity is one of the secret sauces to the future of the office, as we're talking about it here today, is because even if we are both in the same building, uh, maybe it doesn't make sense for us to be synchronously connected to accomplish the task that we could actually do through you know, whatever Slack channel or whatever email channel is appropriate in our organization. And, and that being a manager and saying, I'm going to choose to experiment with these modes of communication and connection, uh, that's, a, that's an important step that a lot of managers need to take, but I'm not sure they're being prepared to do so by their organizations. Are we saying that being in person is necessary to build, grow, cultivate culture? Is it necessary to bring people together physically to do that well for a company? So let's put it this way. In the research we did, some of the companies out of those 46 leaders we interviewed didn't have offices at all. And uh, there were four of them. And all of them said that in-person was important. So that is to say they didn't even have offices, but they engineered opportunities for people to come together either through off-sites. Well, in their case, it was definitely off-sites because they don't have an on-site. Um, and with varying levels of periodicity where they would travel and have everybody be together. Now, are there instances where organizations can be, you know, effective fully remotely? Yes, but they are in the very, very small minority. Almost everybody that, that you'll find out in the world is looking at in-person as a complement to other activity. You know, Keith brought up earlier the, the psychology of where people are right now. Uh, that's that's one way to think about the psychology, but there's also the psychology of where humans evolved to be. We did evolve to read each other's cues, to understand each other in you know any number of communication modes and methods from the tone of our voice and the movements of small muscles on our faces. All of that stuff matters. And so it's, it's not that it's necessary to have face-to-face -face communication for everything, but we are very, very good at it, you know, even, even though it itself causes stress, the present being around other people causes its own kind of stress, but we are born to interact with each other in this mode. So I would, I would find it very surprising if even these fully remote companies didn't also, as JP said, 
recognize that occasionally being together, as long as we're asking ourselves, what are we together for? I think that's the biggest risk about flat policies that say, oh, in our organization, we're four days in the office or three days or two days or whatever is, okay, the, the question that smart employees ask is, okay, what for? And then once you know what for, okay, how are we designing the office to accommodate that? And that's where we get to actual you know, parts of JP's research here, which are focusing on what do you actually configure the office to look like, uh, which is a question you shouldn't start with, but you do end up there because the employees ask that question. So we, we, we're talking about these companies that were completely remote and then maybe, you know, changing their policies or maybe they stayed that there. It's like when you guys were saying in person, my mind kept switching between those companies that are fully remote versus, you know, the hybrids versus the ones that, you know, almost were entirely in office. Like, is there, is there a different definition of what in person actually means now? I mean, when you're live on video, you're in person. Is it the is it the physicality of it or is it really just being present screen or no screen? Yeah, I think that's a really, uh, really astute question, because we have this idea that there's synchronous interaction that constitutes a meeting. And that meeting could have participants who are physically co-located together or they could be apart. They could be in different offices. You could have an office in San Francisco, an office in Toronto. They could be um, people who are working remotely from home. They could be people who are, you know, customers. So, you know, we've always had an element of this fragmentation around a given meeting is going to involve people in different locations, right? So that's very much a pre-pandemic thing. What is new now is that the expectations have changed. We will not accept a second-class uh, experience for anyone. They all need to be tied together in some fashion. We also know that there is meeting overload, that the percent of meetings, the number of meetings went up by 13% over the pandemic. And, you know, in fact, that's a lot of time that gets spent. So you find companies today who are trying to find solutions to reduce the number of excessive meetings that were generated by the fact that people weren't familiarly located together. Um, and so Shopify recently at the IT level nuked all of the Wednesday meetings on everyone's calendars, 95,000 hours of meetings or something. That's a little bit of a heavy handed way to do it, but they got a conversation started that they want to carve out less time for meetings. So what does that mean? It means we need to rethink every dimension of this, make sure we are moving in the direction where we're having meaningful meetings, where we are moving certain kinds of communication to asynchronous where appropriate. Why have extra meetings? It's going to take up everybody's time when it could have been a chat on you know, Slack or Teams, uh, where we are using technology, but also human practices to make sure everybody feels like they are a part of meetings wherever they happen to be. And finally, making sure that the physical office itself is an engagement engine. It creates unique value where people do have great experiences where they say, yes, I actually do want to be with my peers in person and get things done. All of this is doable. It just requires more thinking and more, more doing. Yeah. I'll say I was with uh, another one of our clients 
where they have asked people to come back three days a week and they're having a hard time with compliance. I think that's one of the things that's common in our research is that compliance is one of those issues. And they're trying to answer it, I think appropriately with the question of, okay, is the office designed to actually help people be successful? And they started with a lot of maybe the the softer programs, like let's make sure there's yoga on site and those kinds of things, which is all fine if that's what's important to your organization's culture. Um, but the real question is, okay, do I know what I need to do to succeed in this role? And do I have the tools to succeed in this role? In our employee experience uh, index research, for example, those are two of the biggest things to determine whether someone shows up engaged at work is whether they know how to succeed and they're given the resources to succeed. Well, the office is one of those resources. It's not just your laptop or your cubicle or your uh, you know, stand-up desk or whatever you might need from pure physical accommodation to get your job done. But it is now the flow through the office, the spaces in the office, the way they allow for hybrid meetings, the way they allow for in-person informal conversations. Everybody loves to talk about all the productivity that imaginarily comes out of, oh, the kitchen interaction that we had over the water cooler, those kinds of things. Well, you know, if you design space for those kinds of interactions so that people who do pass each other in the hallway can duck into a space and have that conversation and accomplish something in that conversation and even call someone else into that conversation because it's so fruitful. That's an office design issue that should flow from the question of if we're going to have people come back, why do we want them to come back? And then what are we doing to equip them so that they're here and succeed while they're here? So what you're finding is that a lot of companies are engaging in various kinds of renovations to their physical offices. Now, the most popular renovation for physical offices is what you could think of as a combination of a Starbucks and or a bar. It is a really comfortable space with couches where there may actually be a barista who's offering coffee or tea or whatever. Um, there may be food involved. There may be certain amount of technology and equipment, but the goal is to set people at ease and to make it easier for people to almost feel like they are hanging out with their coworkers while they work. That came up many, many different times. Another area is to invest in huddle rooms, much more casual, but still equipped with the kind of equipment that would allow you to bring outside parties, again, those remote workers on that day, that they get to participate fully in that experience. The idea here is that not there's no one size fits all, but those are two trends that we saw across verticals, across size of companies. Um, and in fact, we interviewed some of the folks who do the renovations of these offices, and they said this was a huge area of interest. Um, the last thing that we've seen is amenities of different kinds. You know, uh, James mentioned yoga, wellness studios. One company I talked to actually said they, they have a gym, but they also have meditation and prayer spaces. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of experimentation in the coming years, and it's not going to be one size fits all for every company. They're going to figure out what is it that resonates with our workers the kind of work that we do, the kind of culture we have, and they're going to change their spaces to make them really accommodating and welcoming. You know, a meta comment I'll add on this uh, is we have over the years at Forrester, we have seen different roles become more strategic than they used to be. We saw that with the, with the CMO 
10 years ago. We're seeing it right now with the CHRO uh, under all the pressure that they're facing. It's not a stretch to suggest that facilities management is now in the position where they could be more strategic than ever before. And I saw the contrast in this, you know, you go back 10 years and you saw the new CMO coming in all strategic minded and everyone else was saying, but we just want to talk about the brand. I saw this actually in one of our clients where they just hired a woman to come in and revamp their approach to facilities management. And she had all the big ideas in the room. Everyone else was just worried about managing cost and trying to meet the requirements specified by the organization. And she had all the ideas like, how are we going to redefine meeting spaces? What technologies do we need to start budgeting for to make it possible to have a spontaneous hybrid meeting that's successful for everyone involved? I, I just, I was actually frankly surprised in a very positive way that she had already recognized that her role needed to step up and become the strategic. It sounds like, I mean, you mentioned this, like the investment in doing this work seems significant. So is there also a looking at like the footprint, the portfolio of office space that exists today, reducing that? Are there puts and takes on the actual facilities that are that are happening here to enable some of the investment in key spaces? Yeah, in fact, it's funny. We um, two years ago, uh, James and I interviewed a company that we was thinking that they were going to downsize the number of buildings that they had as part of this. This is challenging because leases on buildings can be lasting for you know ten years or more, uh, and all of that. But I had a follow-up conversation with them today, and it turns out, indeed, they did lower out uh, their commercial real estate footprint by leasing out one of their buildings. Um, and so they they went from three to two. They are using hoteling, which is flex desks with software to help arrange it, um, because the work that the folks are doing, uh, the, the sort of concentration work, isn't concentrated in the office anymore. Again, people are spending time in the office working jointly, collaboratively together, whether that's with one other person or with a whole division of the company. So I think that the point is very important that nobody can imagine that you just have this endless checkbook that you can write check after check. Oh, I want a Starbucks. I want a, a couch. I want, you know, I want a digital video wall. Like no one has all the money to do that, you know, in their budget. So it does become a case where you rationalize, you rethink, you audit, and you try to prioritize uh, the spending against the reduction in some of the excess that you may have as a result of this change in the way you work. So you guys have convinced me that hybrid's really hard. And, you know, if you're going to pick either or, meaning everybody go back in or everybody stay remote, like, you know, the world is rosy, but it doesn't seem like we're going anywhere close to that. So uh, what are a couple of the things that the ones that are starting to get hybrid, what are they doing? Uh, is there a path to this future of the office and are a couple of companies already on it? I'll give you a couple of ideas. Um, number one, these organizations are focusing on retraining middle managers and other leaders because the road to executing a people-centric strategy for hybrid uh, lies with the managers who are actually managing people. They're the ones who are often holding meetings, who can be inclusive in those meetings, who can um, you know, try to exert that inclusivity and empathy for people wherever they happen to be. They're rethinking how they manage people. Um, I actually had a, an interview with a company today that said, 
when leaders don't have a good understanding of how hybrid works, it can lead to micromanagement. It's a fear thing. They get afraid. I don't know if my people are doing the work that I need them to do. And so one way to get out of that, number one, is to have maybe shorter but more frequent check-ins with that employee throughout the week. Another thing is to manage the outcomes rather than to FaceTime. In other words, you don't need to know where they are every minute of the day. What you need to know is, are they hitting some previously agreed upon um, you know, deliverables and outcomes that you're looking for? So leadership is definitely something that we're seeing. Um, secondly, companies are rethinking the meeting paradigm. They're coming up with guidelines. Several companies, and we're about to put out a piece on this, um, are putting together taxonomies of meeting types. If I have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with my manager, who happens to be James, that's a different kind of preparation than if we're having a really big uh, you know, meeting of all of Keith's teams at Forrester. Right. We need to know, well, what are the goals of each of these meetings? Is it brainstorming? Are we making a decision? Is it something that's going to lead to a particular kind of action? So one thing that companies can do is start to think about how many meetings they have, what those meetings are about, and are they being facilitated in a professional fashion that allows everybody to take a part in them? Cool. Well, it sounds like it's going to be quite messy for a little while as we figure this out. Uh, so uh, both of you, what's the big, bold call that you might have? Where does this thing land five years from now when we're navigating this mess? I think the most interesting thing I want to predict, I just can't be, I can't give you numbers, but I think we're going to lose a whole bunch of middle managers. They're all in a career stage anyway, where they might be willing to consider early retirement. And frankly, their skill set is just out of sync with the future of the office. And, and we keep saying hybrid here because hybrid is the catalyst for making this happen. But future of the office is bigger than hybrid. Future of the office is a different mode of working. And there's just a certain class of middle manager that isn't going to adapt to that. And maybe it's time for them to think about what their next uh, stage in their career is going to be like. So we make room for some people who are a little more mentally flexible and maybe just more comfortable with whatever tools are going to have to emerge. I mean, I'm surprised we didn't even mention any kind of metaverse related technologies, which is a space that's in a lot of disarray right now. But um, there are going to be technology applications to help with the future of the office, including hybrid work that we just we don't have yet, but, the, but we can't go there with the managers in many cases that are currently administering all of these things. You know, in five years, I think you're going to find that the paradigm of I've gotten a new job, I have to move to a specific city um, is going to be looser than it is today. That mean, That's not to say it won't happen. Uh, some people will go get a job and they'll want to work at the headquarters, but there will be a more voluntary um, character to it. And one reason for this is that there are acute shortages in particular talent areas where you really have a hard time for, uh, hiring somebody. To take a quick example, let's say that you are in CPG or you are in financial services. Um, you increasingly need to hire AI talent and you're competing with developers and big tech to hire that talent. So as a concession to that, there will be a permanently higher level of full-time remote people, regardless of what your, your in-city market uh, looks like. In other words, you could have people coming in four or five days a week to the office uh, at the headquarters, but you're going to have people that you hire opportunistically who are not located where you are. That's of necessity. 
And that means that you need to build this office network that extends beyond just the physical boundaries of your headquarters and allows everybody to be an equal and productive participant in the office. I feel like every office should have a robot or two, and then we really don't have to worry about middle management. <laughs> well, look, AI, as JP brought it into the conversation, AI managers are going to be a thing. And AI enhanced managers are a positive thing. Most of these things that managers spend their, just their spare brain cycles wondering, I wonder what my employees are doing. The AI is going to tell you what people are doing, not in a monitoring and tracking kind of way, but in a outcomes-based and productivity-focused way. And so as a manager, you won't have to spend all of your, your energy trying to figure out what's happening. The AI, AI is going to tell you what's happening and give you very targeted suggestions about how to improve what's happening in your team in a way that benefits both the team's productivity and the individual employee. Is that five years out? How, how far out are we from that, James? Oh, it's going to move very uh, gradually. So it'll first be, you know, in Teams or in Slack or in whatever tool set you're using is going to start adding the AI suggestions for you as a manager. So five years out from now, those suggestions will be common, but they'll only be based on some smaller percentage of the actual activity of your teams. So it'll be based on what, what Microsoft Viva could see in email, for example, uh, or what Teams can see in Teams. But still, that's not a full picture view. Um, Ten years from now, you're going to have a completely full view, data-driven view of the productivity output. But I'm not even wanting to say productivity and output. I want to say engagement and contribution and innovation of your team. Uh, that's 10 years out, but 10 years is going to happen a lot faster than you think. So all of this is amazing. And I think the future of the office is uh, going to be a positive one. If we really get down to some of the things that you guys are talking about, which to me is about better leadership, shaping new behaviors, uh, being open to new ways of working, and then putting the hard work in to get hybrid right. So let's talk about that a little bit, because I feel like a lot of companies are creating a bunch of rules and new policies around this thing, but they're not really engaging their employees to get to those new behaviors so that we can get this hybrid thing going. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Here comes our old friend, change management. It's a word we're probably, a phrase we're tired of hearing, but man, do we have to apply it here. And it's not just that we have to do change management again, it's that we have to finally do it right. The, the circumstances in which we are managing change now are faster changing environments, more data to respond to, more power distributed throughout the organization. So change management now needs to become a discipline that's not just something that's taught in classes. It is part of every manager and every employee's daily task list. And so that's why the policy approach that you're suggesting is not going to uh, be effective because it, that's simply, as we're seeing it, we're seeing it over and over, the policy gets handed down from a, a quiet conversation between the executives. The organization sort of moans and groans and everybody says, well, you know, tough it out. This is the policy. That's not change management. That is management by decree without usually the full information of how it's affecting different roles, different people, different types of, of workers and so on. You are going to have to learn, sure, use this example. 
how to finally learn how to do change management. But if you get that right, every other challenge from AI to anything that follows, you will be better at. So don't look at this as a burden to apply change management here and finally get it right. Look at this as maybe your last best chance to finally join the rest of the future of work. That's fantastic. I feel like finding the future of the office is probably going to be a catalyst to this kind of thinking. Let's hope. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This was another great one. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks both. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.